Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson! And it goes to Corey Davis. Crowder trying to get him out of space, slips a tackle, and there he goes! Crowder! It's a foot race, and Crowder is in there! A 69-yard touchdown. He'll hit immediately. Got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And we're going to talk a little bit of film. We did some breakdowns over on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Of course, keys to the game coming up on Sunday between the Jets and the Tennessee Titans. And so for that, we bring in our man, the Thunder from down under, Mr. Luke Grant. Luke, what's up, buddy? Not too much, Scott. Looking forward to hopefully, and I say hopefully, the Jets scoring a touchdown this week. I don't want to set my my bar and my expectations too high, but let's hope we get a better showing than against Denver, and uh, let's see what they've got in store for us. Before we get to the keys to the game, let's talk about the videos you put up on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel this week. And if you haven't checked them out or subscribed yet, please go ahead and do so. The first one that you'll see from this week is a video on the Mike LaFleur offense and what's been going wrong with that. Now, Luke, as you have pointed out numerous times to people, just to show that you're even-handed, you showed some of the good of Mike LaFleur and then some of the bad as a way to contrast and portray an accurate picture of exactly what's going on and what the problems are. That video has really taken off. It's got over 7,000 views right now on YouTube. So again, if you haven't watched it yet, there's a reason that a ton of people have watched it because I think it's the best video out there as an explainer of what's going on with Mike LaFleur and this offense so far. Talk me through what's in the video and also what the problems are so far in your eyes as far as what Mike LaFleur has done with this offense. Yeah, let me specify by saying first, I'm not team fire Mike LaFleur or, you know, the sky is falling, but there's been some deficiencies for me and I wanted to point that out. So what I saw against Denver was the drive where they had the field goal called back and they ended up having to punt. I really liked the way he attacked Denver's cover two and they still played a lot of man and, and cover one robber on that drive as well. But I thought they attacked it really well. The ball was out of his hands quickly. You had a hitch. You had a little shallow cross to Ryan Griffin or Tyler Croft. Uh, the ball was out quickly. They were rolling. And really, it was until one run play was blowing up. They got in third and 11. And then he hit the great deep ball to Corey Davis, who he ended up dropping or you know getting it batted away. But after that, you just saw too much play action, to, but not rolling the pocket, just you know standard heavy play action, 21 personnel, things that don't fit what the Jets do well. And it just was predictable for me on tape. 
And I think that's been an issue with the Michael LaFleur offense. Uh, predictability when he goes into certain looks, just, you know, kind of showing his hand and seeing what he's going to actually do. And, and the defenses have been able to read on that. In conjunction with that, I just don't think he's been good enough at adjusting right now. Against New England, I pointed out that he expected heavy pressure. So a lot of the time when he went to throw the ball deep, he max protected, which is fantastic until New England brought four or five. And suddenly the Jets were sending three routes against a six or seven man secondary. This week, it was more of the same, Scott. So I expected Denver to play cover two. It's the Vic Fangio system, too high. But they did a great job rotating into cover one robber, cover one hole. But Mike LaFleur just didn't adjust. There were too many times he kept putting out these zone-beating concepts, and he wasn't adjusting the way it was. You know, he was calling the game. And that was frustrating for me. So I just wanted to point out some of those things in the video. I think Mike LaFleur can do the job. I think he's a good offensive coordinator, or at least has, has the potential to be, but I just haven't loved what I've seen from him so far. I, I know we've talked about it before, you know, off air, Scott didn't like the way he treated Mackay Becton in the off season, calling him out the whole Denzel Mims things. There's some concerns, real concerns about Michael Fleur right now. So I just wanted to give an even take on that. And that's what's uh, what's in the video. And the other video you made this week was one on how dominant Quinn and Williams was against the Denver Broncos. There weren't a ton of positives in that game, if we're being honest about it. Quinn and Williams was right at the top of the list, absolutely gobbled up the interior of the Denver Broncos offensive line. Some people had wondered if Quinn and Williams had fallen back a little bit the first two weeks, although I thought he played fine. He just didn't make as many of the eye-popping plays that we were used to before he got hurt last year. He had plenty of those, though, this past week against Denver. Yeah, Quinn and Williams was back. And Scott, it's about patience. This is a 300-pound athlete that was coming off off-season foot surgery. It's going to take him a few weeks to you know get his feet back underneath him, so to speak. And you saw that. He had a favorable matchup. He played against the Tani Muti, uh, against Glasgow. And look, they're guys he should take you know, to the cleaners. And he did exactly that. He had three pressures, two sacks, and a couple of run stops. And while run stops aren't valuable as such, when they're for less than two yards, that's as good as a sack in some instances, getting the, the field in third and long situations. So he was so dynamic. And I love the way that he won because you saw one of his sacks was against a double team. He was able to split it and then get into the backfield and penetrate and get to Teddy Bridgewater. The other one, he was one-on-one and you saw him go to that little swim move that he dominated with at Alabama. And it was just the variety he showed and the different ways he won. That was so impressive to me. And I think he's back on track to have an enormous season. I think he's going to be the first Jets uh, defensive lineman to get 10 plus sacks since 2015. Something we always joke about. The Jets can never have a thousand yard rusher receiver or a 10, uh, 10 sack a season guy. So Quinn and Williams is going to buck that trend. And uh, I thought he was phenomenal. Um, all in all, just that quickness is back, the burst. He talked in the offseason about how he had to change his stance going into Robert Sala's defense. He even, you know, lined up something you've done since you're five, six years old. He had to completely reconstruct the way he did it to become more explosive, to get more vertical in this system. And it's all starting to come together now. And I know we're about to touch on the game against Tennessee, but I think the matchup between he and Robert Saffold is going to be an absolute you know, cracker this week. So I can't wait to see how him and Saffold go toe to toe. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Luke, as you mentioned, we are indeed going to touch on the game against Tennessee coming up on Sunday. And the matchup between Quinn and Williams and Roger Saffold is right at the top of the list of the keys to the game. 
If Quinton Williams can get the better of Saffold, it's going to go a long way towards putting the heat on Ryan Tannehill, who, as you heard David Beauclair say on the show yesterday, has probably been the worst he's been since becoming a Tennessee Titan. Now, just to clarify, it doesn't mean he's been bad. It just means he's been a lot better in previous instances. So if you want to force Tannehill into situations where he's going to continue that level of play, Quinton Williams is one of the guys that can help do that. And in order for him to do it, he's going to have to really get at Roger Saffold. Yeah, I think all in all, this Tennessee offensive line has been regressing uh, ever since they lost. Who did they lose? Shit, sorry. Uh, They lost uh, Jack Conklin. Thank you. Uh, Ever since they lost Jack Conklin, that was a big step backwards for them. They obviously still have, you know, some capable offensive linemen, Luan being one. But if you can beat Roger Saffold and just really disrupt the interior of the pocket against Ryan Tannehill, it's going to be huge because even though he's mobile to some extent, he's not Kyler Murray. He's not Josh Allen. If you can disrupt him and get him off his spot, that's going to be beneficial for the Jets. Interior pressure is the best way to beat them. And we've already seen guys have huge weeks against Tennessee. Chandler Jones had five sacks in week one, for goodness sake. So maybe it was four sacks, but he needs to be dynamic, Quinn. And we saw that, as we just mentioned, against Denver. If he can take another step forward again, I think he, Sheldon Rankins, those kind of guys on the interior, they can be the key to the Jets winning this game because it's going to be also very important in run defense. Derrick Henry is going to be the go-to guy even more than usual with all the injuries they have at the receiver position. So can the Jets defensive front hold up, not just as a pass rusher, but can Quinn and Williams dominate as a run stopper with Foley Fatakasi? Because if those guys have dominant performances, that's going to be the key to them winning this game. And if you want to talk about keys to winning the game, as you said, run stuffing normally not thought of as one of the biggest priorities. But when you're playing the Tennessee Titans, it certainly is because you're going up against King Henry, who has looked as good as he ever has the first month of the season, just absolutely dominating from start to finish in each of these games. Got to hold him to less than 125 yards, which for just about any other running back, you would think shouldn't be that big of a task. But for Derrick Henry, it is. If you can hold him to under 4.5 to 5 yards a carry, which again, shouldn't be a monumental task in most cases. But with Derrick Henry, it is a monumental task. Then the Jets will be in business because as we said, Tannehill hasn't looked as good this year. Henry has. If you can take Henry away, at least to some limited extent, it's going to help the defense gain some momentum and really put Tennessee on their heels. I just want people to really understand how pivotal Derrick Henry is for their offense, even with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. So last week against Indianapolis, he had uh, 31 touches. Against Seattle the week before, he had 41 touches of the football. This is in 2021 where we're a backfield by committee. We don't want to overwork our guys. Derrick Henry is that dude still. And as I just mentioned, those two wide receivers, AJ Brown and also Julio Jones are both out. The onus is going to be on Derrick Henry to take pressure off Ryan Tannehill because outside of that, the Titans just don't have any receivers. You have Josh Reynolds and a bunch of guys that quite honestly, I couldn't name. So as you mentioned, those numbers, 125 yards, you'd usually look at that and go, well, well, if the Jets have allowed that to Derrick Henry, they're going to lose the game. But when they run through him so heavily, it's very difficult to hold him under 100 yards. 
Arizona did a good job of it in week one. And if you can stop it early in the game, it forces them to pass it more. If the Jets can get in front, that's going to be key to this as well. So scoring early, maybe they, you know, talk to Adam Gase. He was the key of uh, (laughs) scoring touchdowns on drives early in the game. If they can do that, get Tennessee on the back front, get them out of Derrick Henry's rhythm. It's going to be crucial because they will run through Derrick Henry quite literally. As you said, no Julio Jones and no A.J. Brown, it looks like, for this game on Sunday. So Tennessee is going to have Chester Rogers. They're going to have Nick Westbrook. And they're going to be relying heavily on Derrick Henry. But we already discussed trying to stop Derrick Henry and how that is the biggest key to this game from the defensive side of the ball. If they can find a way to take Westbrook and Rogers out, which they should be able to considering that these are not guys that typically get relied upon as number one and number two wide receivers, that makes Ryan Tannehill's job even more difficult. And the good thing is that Bryce Hall and Michael Carter II just continue to take strides forward. I thought Brandon Eccles got picked on a little bit against Denver. He gave up a deep ball to Tim Patrick. He had the DPI, which, you know, it's a 50-50 call, but it's going to go as a DPI in today's NFL. I thought he struggled a little bit, and it was definitely his worst performance of the year. But that being said, he wasn't, like, terrible. He wasn't Tremaine Johnson level of bad. So if the Jets' corners can shut those guys down, which they should, they need to be playing man coverage. And we saw them be able to do that on DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Terrence Marshall this Uh, Terrence Marshall Jr., sorry, in week one, there's no excuses as to why they can't do it against Tennessee. It's a much, you know, more uh, favorable matchup for the Jets and they need to take advantage of it and they need to stack the box. And it's such an overused term, but Derrick Henry should not be seeing a box with less than seven defenders in it the entire day. Mm -hmm. And the other good thing for the Jets corners are they're both really good run supporters, especially Michael Carter and Bryce Hall. They're excellent in that capacity. And I think they're going to need to do plenty of that. But as you said, beat guys like Chester Rogers and those guys one-on-one, and that's going to be crucial. You're absolutely right what you said about Derrick Henry. You've got to do everything you can, sell out to stop him and make somebody, anybody else, beat you because if you let Derrick Henry do it he will so that's what you're looking at on the defensive side of the ball but on the offensive side of the ball we know that it comes down to number two Zach Wilson can the offensive line give him time to throw and can Zach Wilson make the most of that time if he's given that time we saw that against the Carolina Panthers when the offensive line struggled he found ways to make plays in the second half In the second game against the New England Patriots, he had time, but just couldn't get it going. And obviously, he had that disaster with four interceptions in his first 10 pass attempts. If he could get the time that he got against the Patriots, but put together a bunch of plays, the likes of which we saw in the second half against Carolina, then the offense could be cooking in a way that we haven't seen it from start to finish yet this season. It's got to be the hope. And As we mentioned, injuries have been a theme so far of the podcast, Scott. Bud Dupree is going to be out. So it's going to be a little bit easier for the offensive line to block and give him time. When Zach Wilson has had the ball out of his hands within 2.5 seconds, he's been really efficient this year. I don't think he has a touchdown, sorry, an interception in those situations. But conversely, when you get a young quarterback to hold the football, whether it's because they're not beating man coverage, his receivers, whether it's because he's scrambling, He's making poor decisions and he's just not in the rhythm. And you're asking him to do more than a third game quarterback should be asked to do. And the Jets need to do a better job keeping him clean and giving him an opportunity to just play football like we've seen Mac Jones, like we saw Trevor Lawrence last night. 
And if they can keep him clean, keep him upright and give him a chance, then you can get him out of these, some of these bad habits he's developing. I've been slightly concerned by how often, Scott, you've seen Zach Wilson drifting in the pocket. We saw it early in the preseason against uh, Green Bay, and it was fantastic. On a third down, had a free rusher, just gave himself a little more space. This has become the norm now, and it's become detrimental to his play. And I don't blame him for it. I know why it's happening. It's because Greg Van Roten and Connor McGovern are getting beaten off the snap, and they have someone in his lap after 1.7 seconds from the snap. So I understand why it's happening, but they need to stop this from manifesting and becoming a bigger issue. So protection is going to go a lot into that. And the performance of Zach Wilson is so heavily reliant on the guys around him playing well because he's a rookie, and that's okay. So the Jets supporting cast, particularly the offensive line, they need to do a better job. Luke, if Zach Wilson's going to be able to get anything going in the passing game, he's going to have to deal with Christian Fulton and Janoris Jenkins, who have both been really good so far this season. Corey Davis is the primary target. He's taken a step back the last two weeks. We know he had those key drops, and obviously against the New England Patriots, that ball went through his hands on that second interception, and that might have actually changed the course of the game, but you know that Tennessee is going to be keying in on him just as the other three Jets opponents did. And then you got Jamison Crowder coming back, and Denzel Mims is coming back from witness protection. I mean, being inactive. So he'll be in there. No Elijah Moore this week. No Jeff Smith. But you do have the addition of Crowder, which should help a lot. And you've got Mims being in there. I don't know how much they're going to involve him. We'll see. So they're going to have to find a way, I think, to be able to not only beat Fulton and Jenkins, but do it in a way where the ball is spread around and Zach Wilson isn't just looking to Corey Davis because I think that's partially what's gotten him into some trouble in the early going this season. Jamison Crowder is going to be his best friend because he beats coverage and gets open so quickly. Mm -hmm. His ability to separate and change direction quickly at the top of the route has been phenomenal his first two years with the Jets. So I don't think we can underrate what having him back is going to do for Zach Wilson. Because as you mentioned, when things get a bit cloudy, he's looking at number 84 and Corey Davis isn't that jump ball receiver despite being a big guy. So having Denzel Mims, who can win one-on-one down the sideline vertically, that's going to be a plus. Having Crowder, like I mentioned, in short spaces, that's going to be a big win for him too. So that should also help Corey Davis, his route running to set up guys like Fulton, who's still a second-year player. I think all in all... The Jets receivers have more than enough talent. This isn't the 2018 roster where they had, you know, Jermaine Curse and um, a bunch of no-name guys going out against the Bears and the Vikings. These are three NFL receivers. We've seen Jamison Crowder touch 900 yards before. Uh, Denzel Mims had a productive first, sorry, last five games of the season. So there's no excuses here for this group. There's no excuses for Zach Wilson as far as the wide receivers. He needs to do a better job finding them quickly. They need to do a better job beating man coverage because last week, frankly, none of them got open quickly against what's still a pretty young secondary, particularly Patrick Satan the second. They really didn't get open. And that puts your quarterback in a terrible position this week when there's man coverage on the field, particularly on big third downs. Let's get open. Hey, let's try and beat it. And that's going to be crucial for Crowder, for Davis and for, uh, for Mims as well. Here's another key to the game, Luke. How about the Jets score some points? They're averaging 6.7 points per game. You're not beating anybody that way. So if they don't step up and start scoring a little bit more, none of what we just said, any of it is going to matter. They have got to put points on the board, period. 
Correct. And look, this is the, I think I was talking with Splash, our producer over at U Stadium, that I think the Jets are the 24th worst start to a season offensively in the history of the NFL as far as points per game. As you mentioned, it's under seven points per game. We didn't even see that, you know, a couple of years ago with Luke Falk under center, for goodness sakes. So the Jets need to score points. Something I will preface that with is, look, they've played three really good defenses. People don't think of the Panthers as a top 10 defense. I'm telling you, they are that. With guys like Thompson, his side-to-side movement, and Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick, they're a top 10 defense. New England, we know what those guys are about with Bill Belichick. And then Vic Fangio and this Denver Broncos defense, they're 3-0 and and they're playing great. They're two of the best three defenses in the NFL right now. This is the opportunity for the Jets to score points. I'm praying. Because if it isn't this week and next week, I don't know when it will happen. Tennessee and Atlanta are two bottom five defenses. You saw Seattle hang 30 on them. Uh, They really struggled in week one against Arizona. So this is an extremely good opportunity. You catch them without Bud Dupree. Uh, You also catch them without their first round of Fowley. He's still out as well. So there's an opportunity here for the Jets. This can't just be a 16, 17 point performance. They need to score 25 plus. And that sounds ridiculous when they haven't even broken 10 the last two weeks. Heck, they didn't even break onto the scoreboard last week. But this is an opportunity for them to show that, look, we're not the the Jets teams of the past. We have talent because, Scott, I look at this roster offensively and I think they should be scoring points. This is a better roster than we've seen here offensively for the last three years. I look at three of the five offensive linemen and think, yeah, they can start no problem at all. They've got a plethora of at least NFL caliber players at receiver. The running back room is fine. I think Michael Carter's looked dynamic and fantastic. I think Zach Wilson's better than Sam Darnold when he's given time, or at least the Sam Darnold we saw here. So there's no excuses. Score points against Tennessee. If you don't do it now, this is going to be a team picking first overall again. He co-hosts Play Like a Jet Live with Clayton Smarslock Wednesday nights in conjunction with U Stadium. He breaks down the film over on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, and he's a personal friend of Paul Hogan. Crocodile Dundee, folks. Go look it up. Google it. The Thunder from Down Under. Luke Grant. Luke, thanks so much for coming on and breaking all this down with me. Really appreciate it. For those that want to follow you on social media, check out what you're doing, and of course, your film breakdowns on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. How can they follow you and what do you got cooking over there? What can we expect coming up in the next couple of days or so? So you can find me on Twitter at LukeGrant7. It's 50-50 whether you should follow me or not. I'll leave that up to you. It's pretty subjective. <laughs> so that's where you can find me. Shoot me a DM. I'm, I'm happy to, to talk some football. As far as the YouTube channel, look, we're doing a great job over there trying to get three, four videos, if not more, out a week. Uh, you'll get a Zach Wilson review. This week was more of a LaFleur, but they go hand in hand. Um, probably looking to, to back up and, and go in the corner room again. I'm intrigued to see how they perform this week against a, a wide receiver room they should dominate. And then you'll always find, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, Quinn and Williams videos all that kind of thing, tracking the rookies very closely. So there'll be all of that content. Every week I try and do a predictions video as well. So head over there in the next 24 hours if you're listening to this before the game and uh, and you can check out my prediction video. I'll give three or four predictions of, of what we can expect against Tennessee. Follow Luke on Twitter at LukeGrant7. Watch all the videos that he's putting up over on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel and subscribe if you haven't already. And give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.